You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. I'd like to welcome you all to the adult Sunday school here at Kootenai Community Church. And this morning we're back into the book of Philippians. If you would, turn with me to chapter 4. And we're going to begin where we left off last two weeks ago on verse 4. But before we do so, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the absolutes of Scripture. We thank you for the privilege of being able to gather together as your children in our local fellowship. And Lord, we ask this morning that you would guide us into your truth, that you would grant us grace to understand, but also to apply these truths to our lives. We recognize that we cannot do so apart from your grace and the empowerment of your Holy Spirit. We just pray that in our study that you would grant us understanding and that you would be glorified through the teaching and preaching and songs and praise this day as we celebrate you. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, we uh, oftentimes... In this society, and many societies throughout this world, are have congested schedules. We uh, live in a very difficult time uh, politically. We live in a difficult time morally, and we live in a difficult time spiritually. So we, as Christians of anybody have hope. And we also have privilege of God's special revelation through His Word. So this morning, we're going to be looking at a text which is a very encouraging text. Many theologians consider this passage one of the most encouraging passages in the New Testament for believers. We already have the good news, we've partaken of the good news, and yet now Paul is instructing us in a way to guide us in our conduct, in our behavior, in our thinking. So let's look beginning with verse 4, and we'll read through verse 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your request and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding or comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
This text is a great text. I've memorized it in different uh, version than this, so I get a little bit tongue-tied when I try to read it out of the New American Standard, but it's a great passage, an encouraging passage, one of which we should partake of, but don't do it naturally. Otherwise, Paul would not have given this instruction. As I read this, I had read it many times before, but as I studied it, I had great encouragement as well as great conviction because we have access to this great promise of God's perfect peace. In this text, in the verses 6 through 9, we have three major points. The first one is prayer. The second one is thankfulness. The third one, actually four points, is peace. And the last, praise. With these, we have the promise of God that he would give us peace in our hearts. We have a difficult time as we think about the New Testament church universally, sometimes compromising on the Word of God. There seems to be a lack of instruction on the holiness of God, and there's a great loss of the high view of God. We looked at some of those quotes by uh, A.W. Tozer a couple of weeks ago. The current low view of God is not biblical. And as a result of a switch in the paradigm or thinking of uh, ecclesiology or the doctrines of philosophies of the church, many churches today consider doctrine as divisive. And rather than teaching sound doctrine expositionally, they've gone to... another philosophy of trying to minister to the seekers. In other words, trying to be sensitive to their felt needs. That is not what the gospel calls us to. God's call us to equip for the work of the ministry. God's words is essential for believers to grow in the knowledge of Christ, and mature as believers. Many don't even have a comprehensive understanding or they have a very limited understanding of the attributes of God. Just the primary fundamental attributes. They don't understand who God is. Therefore, in times of trials and testing, they don't have faith in the God that we serve. They don't perhaps understand His sovereignty, His omniscience, that's all knowledge, His wisdom, His omnipresence, just some of the basic fundamental attributes that are revealed to us in Scripture. Not having those, we can get uh, in a place in our Christian walk where we are anxious over things. 
to the point of being distracted and debilitated. As we looked at the Paul in the closing chapter, this closing chapter, he's exhorting the believers in Philippi to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, he says, rejoice. That again, we've looked at, and Paul gave that instruction twice, and we know that it's not an emotional response. It's a heart understanding and confidence and trust in God for what he has done. And as a result, God gives us joy in our hearts. <clears throat> the apostle wants these believers to conduct themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. He instructed them in verse 27 of the first chapter. He wants them to be a testimony in this city, in this Roman culture, which is full of immorality and depravity of all manifestations. So Paul wanted them to be an example, set apart as God's people. He wisely understood that instability in the life of the believer could cause the entire local church to be affected. He understood that they should be growing in their faith and practice. Because we live in this world that's fraught with stress, anxiety, overcommitted schedules, financial indebtedness, trials, sickness, disease, all these things come pressing down upon us, and God wants us to respond in prayer. So our stability as believers, we shouldn't be in a constant state or in a state of anxiety. In first part of verse 6, when he says, be anxious for nothing, he gives us instruction on how to overcome this anxiety. He gives the answer here in the second part of the verse. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, <clears throat> with thanksgiving, <clears throat> let your requests be known to God. Whenever we're assaulted by worry or fear, God calls us to prayer. <clears throat> the very name Christian identifies believers with Christ, who is a perfect example of courage. Paul was an example of facing multiple difficulties and trials, and yet he, through that, he understood God's grace. I know from personal experience, this is not something that comes to mind immediately when you're going through a trauma. Many of us have faced difficulties, and the first thing that overwhelms us is our emotion. At that time, we need to remember this promise. Because we can be debilitated completely by being overcome with anxiety. So I guess a question at this point, what do we do? How do we put these truths into practice when we're faced 
with difficulties or severe trial. Verse 7, the apostle gives us the great and most comforting imperative. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ. In the Sermon of the Mount, the Lord gave a similar imperative. He said this in Matthew 6, verses 25 through 34. Jesus taught the great truth. For this reason, I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to your life? That's a strong and powerful truth. And why are you worried? about clothing. Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith, do not worry, Then, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles even seek these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So as we consider the Lord's instruction, we understand he's saying the parallel truth that Paul is giving us here. There are four things that produce stability. One of the commentators lists them in this way. Having harmony in the fellowship of the local church. That's one of the key elements of stability for a believer. Joy in the Lord, that is, confidence in the Lord. Contentment in our circumstances, in whatever circumstances we're in. Having confidence and trust in God. These things cause stability in the Christian's life as well as the local church. Many of Paul's epistles address particular problems And he gave instructions designed to help each one of these situations in his epistles. When King David was fleeing from Absalom, his son, he penned this in Psalm 3. Lord, how my adversaries have increased. Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no deliverance for him and God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me my glory, and the one who lifts my head. 
I was crying to the Lord with my voice, and he answered me from his holy mountain. I lay down and slept. He was showing the confidence that he had in God through that time of being pursued by Absalom. Anybody can lie down. The question is, can you sleep? Are we totally at peace with God? David described, described himself as surrounded by enemies and difficulties and trials, and his testimony is that a man ought not to <clears throat> his, <clears throat> excuse me. In spite of all the threats and dangers that he faced, his trust was in God, and he knew the Lord was with him and looking out for him. It's one thing to say as a Christian, we're trusting the Lord. Our faith is always being tested. The evidence of our faith is lived out in our trust for a holy, sovereign, and omniscient God. He is the same yesterday, today, and always. We can only overcome trials and temptations as we face them with God. It should be mentioned at this point that there's no teaching in the Bible for Christians not to make provision in their lives. In fact, it's just the opposite. Even in Timothy, Paul instructed Timothy in this way, but if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. There's such a thing as kindly concern. That is a genuine interest in the welfare of others. The verb that Paul uses in Philippians 6 is rendered anxious, which can also have a favorable meaning. It did so in chapter 2, verse 20. Paul was talking about Timothy, how genuinely concerned he was. So it's a synonymous word, and yet there's a different meaning in that context. He said this, For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. So Timothy loved the Philippians. He wanted to be with them. He had a great concern for them, and yet it was for their welfare. He wasn't overcome with anxiety, but he was concerned, as we would be concerned when we get a prayer request. We want to intervene and intercede for that individual. We get concerned for the welfare of others. You have concern for your spouse or a loved one or a friend, for somebody's salvation. We have these concerns. God's put that in us. That's part of God's love working through us. So as we look at this, we have to see the difference in this word in, chapter, in verse 6. Paul uses a different word. The word anxious comes from the word merimna, which has the meaning to be anxious about something to the point 
of distraction and debilitation. That's a different word than Paul used earlier regarding Timothy's concern for Philippi. Actually, for believers to be anxious to the point of debilitation shows a lack of trust in God. I have been caught off guard primarily at times when being instructed by a neurosurgeon what they're going to do and the possibilities of subsequent to the surgery. I completely was caught up with anxiety. My first thoughts were, okay, if I can be paralyzed through this surgery, what am I going to do? How is Marsha going to be taken care of? I was flooded with all these anxieties. And yet, at God calmed my heart, and I came to the point of focusing on God. I began to pray, and as I did so, I had peace going in. I didn't know what was going to happen. I was concerned, but I was not wrought with anxiety. And yet, there are times when we're faced with difficult situations and difficult trials when it hits us like a ton of bricks. And to do so, to respond, our body may be anxious. We may be overwrought with anxiety. So we can't say, well, this isn't this is something we naturally do. No, it isn't. Paul is giving specific instruction three times using in the synonyms for prayer. So he's emphasizing the importance of how we approach trials and tribulations in our lives. It isn't something we do naturally. Our emotions can be overwhelmed, and yet God gives us a directive. And that's what Paul is giving forth in this teaching. In the book of James, in chapter 1, James says this, But if anyone of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith, without doubting. For the one who doubts are like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. When he talks of wisdom and as praying for wisdom, he also gives the contrasting examples in chapter 3 of that epistle, the wisdom that's earthly from below, which is demonic, where jealousy and selfish ambition exist and disorder in every evil thing. That's earthly wisdom. But then he contrasts that with God's wisdom. For the wisdom above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So he contrasts that with God's wisdom and his peace through his wisdom. 
So we have to have a biblical understanding from God's word as we respond to these situations. Oftentimes, um, during teaching or preaching, uh, one might make reference to Ezra in uh, chapter 7. This is an example to emulate. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach his statutes in ordinances in Israel. So Ezra's heart was to place full concentration and study on God's word and then to practice it and then to teach it. That's a good pattern to follow that the Lord gives us. So we as Christians cannot know or have God's wisdom or knowledge without studying God's word. Struggling, unstable Christians need to build their spiritual strength on the foundation of God's word. When the church fails to equip believers, then the church becomes weak and unstable. Peter, in his first letter, was offering encouragement to the chosen who were scattered. That is, the Jewish and Gentile believers who were spiritual pilgrims and aliens on this earth. Peter, uh, in his second epistle, he says this. Therefore, excuse me, in in verse chapter 5 of 1 Peter, he says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him, for he careth for you. So Peter gave the same indictment or the same principle, precept, which Paul gives of casting our cares upon the Lord. In the 1980s and somewhere in that period, uh, there was another book who was Uh, which referred to the trust of God, and it was written by Jerry Bridges, and it was called Trusting God, Even When Life Hurts. It's an excellent book, I think, that was recommended uh, a few years back, and we were able to glean some of the truths. He was very systematic in giving the understanding of God and how to trust him in all situations. It's a great book. So, we have to question at this point, is prayer our first response in a trial? Is it? That's the goal, absolutely. I'm glad to hear someone, yes and amen, because that's the approach we need to take, even through all the trauma of our emotions. In Paul's book to the Thessalonians, he said this. He gave the apostles similar imperative regarding prayer. In verse chapter five, verse sixteen, he commands the believers to rejoice always, and in five seventeen, he reminds them that we must pray without ceasing. That's an imperative. 
Many have misunderstood that and said, well, how can we be praying if we're doing this or that? It's the attitude of our hearts to be praying as God gives us the trials of life to conform us, to transform us into the image of his Son. Paul goes on in uh, verse 6, in part C, he said, Let your requests be made known unto God. The word request comes from the original word, a which carries the meaning petition or asking. The essence of the text is showing that believers approach God in prayer when they're going through difficult circumstances. When we do so, God also wants us to do so with thanksgiving. As Paul goes further, he said, And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. As believers, we have peace with God. And Paul gave clear teaching on that in Romans chapter 5. In verse 1, he says this, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Before salvation, we're at enmity with God. We're enemies of God. We hated God. We didn't obey God. We may have feigned some kind of religious attempts at showing homage to God, but they are all as filthy rags. As God approaches us and draws us by his Holy Spirit, allows us, gives us, the faith to believe upon him and were regenerated by the Holy Spirit, we are at peace with God. We are his children, former enemies, now his children. So there's a difference from being at peace with God than having the peace of God. The difference is unbelievers cannot have this peace. They won't have this tranquil peace that only God gives us. And we don't even have a comprehension of how or what that means. And yet, empirically, we can experience God's peace. This same peace was proclaimed by the prophet Isaiah in chapter 26, verse 3. And many of us have memorized this text or at least referred to it in times of difficulty. The steadfast of mine you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. In Psalm 29, 11, David wrote this, The Lord will bless his people with peace. This promise is to God's people and it's consistent and st- Steadfast. There's numerous passes, passages throughout the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. <clears throat> God's supernatural peace, which surpasses all comprehension, is the peace which God promises, but it transcends our human intellect. 
as Christians, we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and yet we still are in the sinful flesh. So for us to understand or comprehend this humanly, though we can experience, we may not completely understand. This peace will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The word guard comes from brau reo, which is a military term. It was used of soldiers on guard duty. These Philippians would understand that because there are many of the Roman guards throughout the city of Philippi. Those that have served in the military will understand that as well. The military puts guards on specific areas to guard over them or areas to secure them. And most anyone that's been in the military would have to serve on guard duty at some point in time. And that's a real test because they will put you on guard duty when you've had hours of training and physical fitness and then you draw guard duty at midnight till four in the morning and then the officer of the day will do his rounds and check on the guards to make sure that they're carrying out their duty. Sometimes it could be very embarrassing. Roman soldiers were utilized in the city of Philippi and they served in the way that would guard that city. So they well understood this term to be on guard, to guard our hearts. God's peace will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ. This peace leads to praise, which we will look at in the following verses. But in this passage, God is giving us a great understanding of what he provides through prayer. In the uh, reading of one of the Reformers, John Calvin describes the peace of God in this way. Now, we correctly calls it the peace of God inasmuch as it does nor depend on our present aspect of things and does not depend itself on the various inclinations of the world, but is founded on the firm an immutable word of God. He also correctly says that he speaks of it as surpassing all our understanding or perception. For nothing is more foreign to the human mind than in the depth of despair to still have hope, in the depth of poverty to see wealth, and in the depth of weakness not to surrender. In short, to promise ourselves that we lack nothing, even though we are left without a thing. But instead, to know that all this is the grace of God alone, which is not recognized except through the word and the internal seal of God's Holy Spirit, end quote. That was a Phenomenal way to understand exactly encapsulate this passage with just a couple of paragraphs. This understanding which we do not have or comprehend 
in our own minds, and yet we can experience, by God's grace, his peace. Paul goes on to say, which we'll look at next time, but I shall read the text. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So that's the text that we will be approaching next time. Is there any questions? Is there any uh, statements that you'd like to make about this text? This is a crucial text for us to understand so that we can put these things in practice. Many of you already automatically go to prayer in times of trials and difficulties. Is there any questions or comments? Okay. Before we close, I'd like to encourage you. I know that uh, we're in various books as we, Jim, of course, in Hebrews and Cornell and Second uh, Corinthians and myself in Philippians. So I uh, encourage you, if you have time to do so, just look over this text, meditate on this passage that we just covered in just the two verses, Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Those two verses, and just understand the imperative that Paul gives us that's with a promise. There's a command, and yet with that command, a promise of God's perfect peace guarding our hearts. Let's go to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this great promise and the many great promises you give us in your word. We recognize that these are instructions to us that we don't normally understand or follow in our humanness. And yet, by your grace, we can do so. We thank you for the encouragement of your word, the reproof of your word, the correction of your word, and the instruction in righteousness. We give you praise for what you're going to do in us and through us to your glory. And we ask now that you would be continued to be glorified as we approach you in song and prayer and lift up our praise and from our hearts. And then as we receive your word from the preaching of your word, we just pray that we'd receive so eagerly examining these things and putting them into practice. We just thank you and ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.